not going to complain about the heat because I complained about the cold all winter. <laughs> Just pointing out that it's very hot. Uh, but I'm thankful you guys are all here and I uh, appreciate you. Um, if you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And while you are turning there, I will give you a quick golf analogy. Uh, started with the NBA. This is, this is it. No more sports. Um, in golf, when you, when you tee off and there's 18 holes, um, you have to wait for the person in front of you to get done before you can play the next hole. So if somebody's a good golfer, then they move quickly. You don't have to wait very long. If somebody's a bad golfer, you could be waiting forever because it takes a lot of strokes to get there. So one thing I learned from golf is if you're good, that's fine. You can take your time. If you're not good, you should probably be fast. And so I promise you we will not be that long tonight. We will move fast. And so um, if you have your Bibles, we will read from the New Living Translation, starting with verse 18. It says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. Everybody say never know him. Never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for a sign from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Sounds like a tough crowd. <laughs> so for just a few minutes, I'd like to talk to you on this title, Has the Cross Become Foolish? Has the Cross Become Foolish? If you'll just help me out just for a quick minute, let's say a prayer over this and uh, ask God to be with us. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fellowship of the church. God, we know that you have, you have a plan for this service and you don't take anything for granted. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to be in your presence. I pray that you bless the remainder of this service in Jesus' name. Amen. So I brought a cross. You guys are probably wondering what this was. Some of you were probably thinking we were going to do that aftermath skit again. <laughs> We've done that a few times as a youth group. Um, so I started thinking about this message, and I've, I've spoke something similar to the youth before. And I was digging this out of the shed that we have in the parking lot. And I thought a great title would be, Don't Put Your Cross in the Shed. But then as soon as this is over, I'm going to take it back to the shed. So I thought that probably wouldn't be a good one to go with. <laughs> so we're going with As the Cross Become Foolish. Um, but the church, the, the verses that we just read about was actually Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. So Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth, which many believe that he started and that he was the primary um, church planter for that church. It's, it's, it's been started. It's grown. They've walked with God for a while, much like many of us here. They've walked with God for a little bit, and they have busied themselves with the work of Jesus. So... They've lived for God. They've started a church in an area where, in Greece, it wasn't exactly like a Jewish community. It was probably a tough place to start. But the Bible tells us that as they had started this church and as they, had, as they have been at it for a while, something starts to creep in. It says that their focus becomes less on God and the cross, if you will, uh, and more on the political dynamics that were taking place in the church. So much so that the church itself actually started to divide and so Paul is addressing them 
trying to get them kind of pulled back together and trying to get them back where they're supposed to be. And he says this in verses 10 through 16. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, or that you all believe the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, or I am, I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I in Christ. And then he asks this question. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul, he goes into the third person. That's when you know he's getting serious. He refers to himself in the third person. He says, was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He goes on to say, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any of you should say that I had baptized them in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus besides. I know not whether I baptized any other or anybody else. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. And this is the last line that I want you to think about. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So he's very careful. He's like, I'm not coming in here to be a hero, right? I'm not the one that saved you. Jesus saved you. But now you're starting to have some divisions amongst you and picking sides, so to speak. So Paul knew his audience. Corinth was a province of Greece, and it had a very strong Roman influence. So he's not talking to the shepherds in the hills of Judea at this point. He's talking to people with an unbelievable background in Greek culture and philosophy, to the point where 2,000 years later, we're still talking about these philosophers. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they all came from Greece, and they were famous for developing well-thought-out theories about ethics, religion, and politics. In fact, some of the some of the greatest theories we had ever heard. Their theories were then tested in verbal debates against each other, and it was common practice for these philosophers to rally students or followers around them to share in their beliefs, and then you would just get these political debates between these groups. Kind of sounds like modern times with different parties, I don't know. But anyways, this is the culture that the Church of Corinth was in. So when Paul sees the external mindset moving into the church, He's outraged, which is why you see in verse 11, he jumps out and he says, hey, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. He's like, that, that's human logic that you're bringing in, human logic and philosophy you're bringing into the church, and you're trying to reason away the cross, and you're trying to make the cross less important than your own thoughts and your own philosophy. So for us today, that's something that we have to be aware of. This has been around since the very, very beginning of the apostolic movement. Paul recognizes that when you start applying your own logic to the things of Jesus, to the supernatural presence of God, it starts to get a little bit muddy, and it starts to separate us from the true power of the cross, which is why later, Paul, he's fully aware of everything that's going on in Corinth, and later on, you see him write to Timothy, and he tells Timothy, hey, you've got to stir up the gift that's in you. You've got to stir up that message of the cross. You've got to stir up all of the good things that Jesus has done because otherwise this is all vanity. This is all for nothing. But it can happen to us. It can happen to us in our church. It can happen, when I talk about the church, it can happen in our organization. It can happen in the nation, the United States, churches as a whole. It doesn't just have to be this particular, particular gathering. But when we start to let our gift settle, the gift of salvation, the remembrance of what God has done for us, and he's done some great things for us. He's done some great things for me. When we start to let that settle, it's amazing how quickly the mindset 
of the church of Corinth can start to show itself. It's a mindset the Bible tells us happens to people when they stop believing. The cross becomes foolish. And it's interesting. I'll show you. If you have that next slide, you can throw that up there. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you just a really quick story about myself, and then we'll move, then we'll move on. Um, I was born and raised in Bakersfield, California, which is what you're looking at right there. Um, it is somewhere between San Francisco and Los Angeles, and it is not known for a whole lot of anything. Um, country music and lifted trucks, and that is it. <laughs> in fact, I was thinking about all the landmarks that like Kansas City has when, when we were driving into church. I mean, you've got the skyline downtown, you've got all the sports stadiums, you've got Union Station, you've got the bridge, you've got so much stuff in Kansas City that like, you see it and you think Kansas City. Bakersfield has that sign that says Bakersfield, and it's not, even, it's not even like on the entrance into the city. It's like in the middle of the city, which is what makes it awesome. You have to actually go to it to see it. You can't just like see, see it when you enter. Um, but one thing that Bakersfield did have that I got to experience growing up there for the better part of 28 years was an unbelievable apostolic heritage. How many is thankful, those of you who are, have been in this for a minute, have had parents, grandparents that were possibly raised in this, how many is thankful for a heritage of this truth? Amen? I'm thankful for it. I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful for it. So most of Bakersfield, when I say I'm from California and you're thinking of oceans or mountains, we're literally so far from the ocean and the mountain, you can see neither one. So all you see is these oil derricks everywhere you look. Um, can you throw the next slide up there? But I tell you that because there was a tremendous apostolic heritage in that city, and I grew up in it, born and raised, uh, never lived a day outside of it. In fact, my dad was a preacher growing up. And uh, he still preaches to this day in, in different churches. He doesn't live in the city anymore. But it was nothing for me when I would be, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, to walk into a room and see my dad preparing to preach a message. He'd sit up on his chair with his yellow notepad <laughs> before the internet, the yellow notepad, and he would have like a Thompson chain Bible that was open. And then he always had like this other reference that was like above the Bible that he would like reference into. Don't know what was in there, never looked. But I do know what the cover looked like because at one point I, t I tore it when I was like playing with G.I. Joes, got in trouble, it was a whole thing. So I know what it means to actually hear him. I would walk through the room, he'd be praying for a message. I'd be heading for Oreos, I didn't think a whole lot of it. Uh, sometimes early in the morning, I'd, you know, I'd walk through the living room and he would be, he'd be praying, I'd hear him say my name, didn't think anything of it. I was heading out to play basketball, something like that. <laughs> And I grew up with that around me constantly, and I didn't think anything of it. Didn't mean anything positive or negative. It was, just, it was just life. So as I grew up, I grew up literally experiencing the life-saving power of the cross every single day of my life, even if I didn't want to. It was just around. Uh, so this bottom right picture, just hang with me. I promise we won't be long. This bottom right picture, can you go back to the last slide? Yeah, oh, one more. There it is. That bottom right is the church that I grew up in. And from zero to 12 years old, in that parking lot, my, sometimes my parents would drag me. Sometimes I'd willingly go. We'd take our Easter pictures in front of that church. I'd hear my grandpa tell me how he helped build it. I didn't, I didn't care. No big deal, right? Let's just get this going. Um, and one story I wanted to tell you about in there is I remember being probably about nine years old and having this evangelist who came in to this church to preach, UPC Church. Um, and every time he would pray for somebody who'd lay hands on him, they would speak with tongues, and then they'd pass out. True story. And I would sit in the back, 
<laughs> and uh, my big thing, well, I'd be coloring or something, I'd always look to see who he was going to pray for next. And then I'd like keep track of who passed. <laughs> they did. They hit the floor. They're down. And me and my cousin would kind of joke about it. Just witnessing absolute moves of God up there. But I was in the bad, and like I said, I didn't pay too much attention. I also like to see when people ran the aisles, like how fast they can make the corner. That was another big thing. <laughs> there was this one, he was like 5'3", and I promise you, he had the fastest corner time of anybody I'd ever seen. He just, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. That was in that church. One other thing in that church I remember is there were people who were demonically possessed. It's a thing. It happened in the Bible. Jesus was constantly casting out people who were demonically possessed. And I remember they would come in, and I remember it because eventually, it's interesting that demonic activity is attracted to a church service because there's two things at war in there. There's a spirit who wants to disrupt what God's doing, and there's a human flesh who wants to be delivered. So, I mean, it, it, it's a natural attraction. And so as a young age, I remember you could see them when they came in, crazy eyes. They would usually start outbursting during the service, and it was like clockwork, man. The, the people from the church would surround them, they would lay hands on them in Jesus' name. They'd be shaking their head and grabbing them. And, and I remember I had seen that so many times that as a young person, when they came in and I was able to identify them, I didn't even stick around to see what happened. I already knew. They were going to get delivered. They were going to pray through. And like in my mind, I was like, well, we'll probably just go in the back and baptize them later. That's how strong the presence of God was in a place like that. Because you know what? When the Spirit of God interacts with us, Anything can happen. It doesn't matter what you brought in. It doesn't matter what you've been a part of. God can deliver instantly. Anytime. It can happen right now. I'll show you that top one really quick. That was the Bakersfield Civic Center where they always had youth convention. So my entire life growing up, the Western District, which used to be massive, always had youth convention in the city that I grew up in. I mean, how fortunate is that? I... Got to go all the time. And I remember my dad was always like one of the ushers. So my part was I would sit where they brought the money in, watch him dump the money in, and then I'd get a soda because it was okay to drink in that church. We couldn't in our own church. And then uh, I would remember watching because I would always like to see the young people who were like weren't really in church would go to youth convention because that's where everybody was at. So the big thing was like who's going to pray through and do you think they'll actually show up at church on Sunday? And I remember going to youth convention as a young kid and just watching people's lives literally changed it just in front of me seeing people who didn't want to commit to God seeing people who struggled with things and they just they would pray at the altar they'd get their hair messed up and they, they would make this deep commitment and then to this day they're part of that church unbelievable I got to witness all of this it's just born and raised in all of this last one one more go back to that one sorry there we go the one with the pillars that's the church that I came from same church they moved to that particular building. It's massive. I can only fit the, one, the pillar part of it. Um, I remember at this church, as I became a teen and a young adult, eventually got married in this church, I remember they had what was called an axe program. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this, but they would actually take people from the community who struggled with substances, who had just come out of prison, and they would bring them to this church, and there, there'd be 40 at a time. They would meet every single Monday, and they would come in, they would do a Bible study, I don't even know what they did. They did like a Bible study. They tried to help them with their addictions. And it was unbelievable how much this church grew from that program because people who had deep addictions and deep problems would come. They would interact with the presence of God, even when they didn't think, they weren't even focused on it. They just came because they were mandated by the state. They'd show up, 
But then when God interacted with them, they would have these life-changing experiences. And in fact, if you walked into that church today, you would see dozens of people who had been through the expert. You would never know it because God had changed their life so much. What I remember about it, though, is they always met on Monday from 7 to 8 o'clock. And we played basketball at 8. And there were times, we had a family center. And there were times that at 8 o'clock, they would be going long, the audacity, right? They would be going long. I would be trying to play basketball, and they're in there trying to get their life changed. (laughs) I tell you all of that because the reality is, is you can be born and raised around the cross. You can be born and raised around literal, miraculous, powerful moves of God, and it can still become foolish to you. You can see anything that was written in the book of Acts. You can see, I've seen it all. And yet, I found myself in my mid-20s. Eh, cross is there. It's always there. It's, all, it's literally always been there. Even when I didn't want it to be, it was still there. And so it can become kind of foolish, right? Now, I don't, you're not going to say, yeah, the cross is foolish, but you know what that looks like in modern times? It's like, yeah, it's not that important. Yeah, going to church is not that important. Doing it this, it's not that important. It's not that big of a deal. It's literally just the way that people do things. You don't have to focus on all the details. Why, why, why does it matter? It's always been there. It's always going to be there. And without recognizing it, I'll just be honest with you, despite the way that I was raised, I got to a place where I was far enough from the cross that it just didn't seem like that big of a deal. It wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, yeah, people come, pray through, but I mean, let's be real, they're probably not going to stick, right? Addictions are strong. Those are the kind of conversations that I found myself involved in. Uh, yeah, that's great. They're trying, but I mean, look, there's a standard, and I mean, are they even meeting up to the standard? What are they struggling with? I mean, literally, we can find ourselves, if we're not careful, coming to church, just like the, the church in Corinth, every single day, taking part in programs, working for the kingdom of God, and making the cross foolish in our own minds. That's what Paul was warning. That's what Paul was warning when he, when he wrote this story. Can you throw that next one up there? This is a ski resort in Dubai. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been. I've never been to Dubai, but I have a friend who did. <laughs> I have a friend who um, went through the program that I teach in, and he's from the area. He's from a country of the area, and they have so much money in that country. This is what he told This was his story. They have so much money in that country that if they stopped making money, they would have enough money for 300 years to run their government. It's crazy. You know what happens when you have that much money? You make ski resorts that literally, do anybody know what the temp is? I looked it up before I came up. Does anybody know what the temperature is in Dubai right now? It is 108 degrees, right? And you know what, it's like 11 o'clock at night and it's 108 degrees. They have, there's a lot of money and they've had money for so long thanks to oil that they literally built this giant ski resort so outside, 108. Inside, freezing with snow. And they even have a little lodge in there where you can hang out, grab some, <laughs> grab some coffee, feel like you're in the middle of Colorado or something. The reality is, though, there was so much excess and they were around so much money all the time that it just it didn't even register. It's not even important to them. They don't even think about it. Like, yeah, we'll just throw up a ski resort. Feed the hungry, it's not that big of a deal. Feed the hungry and build a ski resort. That's how much money they had. The excess, when people are around so much excess, you tend to devalue it. Psychological proof. And so we as the church, we can be around the power saving of the cross, the power saving 
atmosphere of a Wednesday night in the middle of July when it's hot and a lot of people on vacation, and we can find ourselves just taking it for granted, not really valuing it that much. How many would love to have the money that the person who built that ski resort would have? Yeah, sign me up. You know how many people would love to have what we have in here? There are people in this city, in this area, that literally are dying for a relationship with God. They have terrible home lives. They're hopeless. There's, there, there's people who are contemplating suicide at this very, very moment. They are crying out in desperation, and they are looking for what we have in this place. And it's our responsibility. It's, it's literally our greatest responsibility to recognize that this is the greatest gift that anybody has ever given. And we have the truth of being baptized in Jesus' name, being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we get to walk into a service where every single time God's presence meets us. Without fail, I've never been here and not had God's presence move, regardless of my effort. It has nothing to do with us, but God is moving through his people. And we can't get to a place where we look at this or we look at the things of God and we're like, hmm. Does church really matter every single service that we have to go? (laughs) And then what happens if we're not careful? Is we start filling our hearts and we start filling our minds with the things of the world and we start walking away from the cross, right? We We start thinking of it as foolish. Granted, that's a strong word, right? We're never just gonna be like, yeah, the cross is foolish. We would expect lightning to strike us from heaven, right, if we said that. But we, like I said, we say it with our actions. You know, we say it with our participation in worship services and at the altar. We say it with our faithfulness to ministry. We say it with our ties. We say it with the things that we do regarding what God asked us to do. And that's why Paul was so adamant. He's like, look, I'm not going to come at you with logic because logic doesn't matter at this point. Philosophy, it doesn't matter. The cross is to those who perish foolish. You know what that means? That means that before we can perish, we have to get to a place where we think this is all foolish. We're not just going to like be on fire one day, run in the aisles really fast around the corner because you know I'm watching for it. <laughs> uh, Got to watch these things. Like these next church, we're going to have to take those out. Um, you will, yeah. Anyways, got to stay on track. I totally lost where I was going. <laughs> but we're going to get to a place where all of a sudden we start filling ourselves with things that are contrary to his word. And rather than just being like, later cross, it'll just be like, mm, I'm going to skip this Wednesday. I know, I know I'm the youth pastor. I don't mean to be too much like this, but it really says a lot when we start to miss a Wednesday, we start to miss a Sunday, we start to disconnect from things. It's a scary slope because eventually what's going to happen is we're going to get so far from the cross, we're going to stop and look and be like, it doesn't even really, it doesn't even really matter that much. You know what those guys are doing over there? Our life changed. Did they just make good choices after that? Or was God really involved? And all of a sudden, without realizing it, the very thing that draws us together, the very thing that one day is our ticket out of this world becomes foolish. And there is going to be a ticket out of this world one day. One day, Jesus will come back. And he will come back, and he's looking for a church who's like, nah, hey, I ain't perfect, but I'm staying right here. I'm going to repent. I'm going to stay faithful, even when it doesn't feel right, even when it's not easy. And that is going to be a great day. And I'll tell you what's going to seem foolish on that day. Everything else. Literally everything else is going to seem foolish on that day. So the challenge for us today is to recognize that 
the enemy of our soul, and this world has an agenda. And we do have an adversary. How many know we have an adversary? The Bible says that our adversary is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Literally seeking whom he can devour. And how does he devour us? Does he just jump out and bite us? Nah. <laughs> he desires to turn us away from the cross and from Jesus. There's a systemic and systematic attack from the enemy on our souls to fill our heads, our hearts, and our minds with things that are contrary to God's plan. And he goes back to the Garden of Eden when the snake comes out and he says, what's he say? Hath God said? Like, did God really say that? That's the ultimate goal. He's trying to pull us away from the cross because he doesn't really want to deal with the blood of Jesus. That's not, a, that's not a winning recipe for him. But if he can get us thinking the cross ain't that big of a deal, hath God really said? Now he's in business. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. It's as simple as that. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Satan has desired to have us. He has desired to pull us away from the things of God. He has desired to take this church, to take anybody, anybody that's willing. He's seeking whom he may devour and to pull us away from God. But so here's the interesting thing with lions. Quick thing about lions. They're not just going to run into a herd and attack the entire herd. What do they do? They're going to draw something out. They're going to draw the weakest out. And then they're going to attack when they're far from the defense. This is, a, this is what the cross is for us. Guys, we, the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I know that I'm, I'm, I'm definitely fitting within that verse. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. However, the difference between those who perish and those who make it to heaven one day, those who live in overcoming glory, are going to be the ones who recognize that I've got to stay right here, right in this general vicinity. Because you know what? I'm going to mess up. Because our, our eyes can turn. Our eyes can wander. But as long as I'm close enough to this, I can always repent. And you know what? The Bible says that if, we're, if we confess our sins, every time he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins faithful and just. It's not about being perfect, but it's about recognizing who is perfect and staying close to him, staying close to that message, staying close to that saving power. And that's why you see a righteous man falleth, but you know what? He gets back up. And the devil knows that. The enemy of our soul knows that. So his ultimate goal is, hey, you know what? If I can get them to scoff, the Bible says that the, in the last days there's going to be scoffers. If I can get them to scoff at that power, if I can keep them from that, if I can keep them from, from true repentance, then I can pull them away and I can win. So, in closing, if I can get somebody up on the piano, please. You know how you can tell if you are allowing the world to fill you up more than the gospel to fill you up? Ask yourself this question. Do you struggle to see the point in some of the things God asks of his church? I'm not talking about I'm not talking about like organizational point. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the biblical things that God has told us to do. Do we struggle at any time? Just be honest with yourself right now. And you're, I don't see the point in that. Is that that big of a deal? Is any of that a big deal? And then, then you can ask yourself, does God's message seem somewhat foolish or simple, less important? The enemy is very strategic. He'll try to fill our life with sin, our heart with bitterness, our mind with confusion. And then Revelations tells us a little bit about him. It says that day and night before the throne of God, he accuses us. 
That's it. The accuser of the brethren and sister, and I'm sure. Day and night. That means that if God's sitting on his throne, he's literally right there like, dude, did you hear what Chad did? Hold on just a second. He's, not, he's doing something else stupid. Just wait right there. <laughs> you know what? Let me just write it all down. I'll bring it all back to you. Day and night. It just keeps happening over and over. Day and night, he's accusing us before the throne. And he's constantly trying to pull us with guilt. With shame. He's got to pull us far enough from the cross where we look back and we come to a church service and we're like, what is the point in all of this? And it can happen to anybody. You can serve in ministry. Your parents can be preachers. You could have just walked in here for the first time and have no idea why there's a cross on the stage, right? You could, it doesn't matter. His agenda is still the same. He's got to pull us away because the power of the cross is so strong if you're close to it. Guys, tonight it doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter how bad the last week went. If you get close enough and you come down here and you repent and you ask God to forgive you, I promise you, he will forgive you of all of those sins. And if you've never been baptized, you can get baptized. We hide water back there. You can get baptized in Jesus' name and have every one of those sins washed away forever. And then the greatest gift we could ever ask for, God will fill us with his spirit, whether it's for the first time or just a return time. He will fill us with, our spirit, with his spirit and give us power over those temptations in the future. But Satan has got to make sure of one thing got to make sure you don't get close enough to that power he's not going to mess with the power of the cross but he will try to mess with us to get us away from it luke chapter 22 verse 31 tells us about a prayer that jesus prayed for the church he said he specifically he was praying it for simon because he knew that the pull of satan he knew that what he was about to do on the cross was going to wipe away every sin was going to break every yoke was going to overcome everything he was going to do that so he knew what the enemy's next plan was going to be I've got to pull him away from that power. And so he prayed. And this is what he prayed. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So that when you have repented and turned to me again, you will strengthen your brother. He didn't even say, like, I pray that you don't fall. He didn't even say that. He's like, I know you're going to fall. But when you do, I pray that you will repent. And when you repent, you'll be able to strengthen your brother. The Bible tells us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That means that like, hey, I ain't perfect, but I know who is, and you know what? Tonight you can meet him. That's what, how we overcome, that's how we do it. So as the power, as we stand together, the power of the cross is not foolish. It's the power of God that is literally manifest to us. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when he, when he died on the cross, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. That means when Jesus went to the cross, he literally took care of every single thing that you could encounter physically in this world. It's not a question of if he's capable. It's not a question of if he's powerful. It's not a question if church organization is right or if another way is, but no, it's not a question of that. It's a question of this. Will we accept the message of the cross? Will we accept repentance? Will we put him at the center and what he did for us as our focus? And that's the question. So tonight, I think it'd be great if we just took a few minutes before we left and we found a place to pray, even if this doesn't mean you need to repent or you're struggling with anything in your life, but just as a priority, as a focus to say, you know what, God, I'm gonna put the cross back at the center of everything that I do. It doesn't matter if I'm working for you. It doesn't matter if this is my first time here. God, I want your gift to be stirred up in me. I want my life to reflect what you've done on that cross. God, I know where I would be if it wasn't for you. 
I know what my life would look like, God, if it wasn't for your saving grace on that cross. And no matter what happens, I'm going to keep myself in line with that. Thank you, Jesus. You're all I 
feel the warmth. 